There we go. All right. Uh, Sunday we kind of did an introduction to the book of Ephesians. And one thing we didn't get to that I wanted to kind of start off with tonight uh, is what I think is one of the highlights of the book of Ephesians. Uh, I think I mentioned Ephesians is one of my favorite books. Uh, Ephesians and Philippians both. I, I find to be very encouraging. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 17 through 21 really stand out to me. It says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is a wonderful passage. It talks about us trying to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth. I mean, that's four dimensions. That's a lot in our three-dimensional world. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. And you know, when you think of the love of Christ, I really don't think any of us can fully comprehend that. I just don't think it's possible for us to have a full comprehension and appreciation of how much love Christ has for us. But it's a wonderful thing to think about and and can be very helpful to us. And then verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. That's incredible. But our God is incredible. And you think about his power. You think about what he can do. This passage says he can do more. He can do more than we can possibly ask or think. That's the God we serve. That gives me goosebumps. It really does. So, I wanted to start off with that. And uh, I wanted to mention that because I won't be teaching Ephesians chapter 3. So, uh, uh, I wanted to throw that in. So, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We will uh, get moving on that. And uh, the goal is to get through Ephesians chapter 1 in this class and the one on Sunday morning. We'll see how we do. Uh, But uh, 
First couple verses. Could I get a volunteer to uh, read the first two verses? Uh, Dave? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so Paul starts off (coughs) identifying himself right off the bat. Yeah. No question as to who wrote the book. The name Paul, I found out it means diminutive or small. As opposed to his birth name, which was Saul, that means to ask or pray. And you think of his name being changed to Paul and the meaning of that. And it brings to mind a statement that he makes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10 about the Corinthians said that man thought his bodily presence was weak. And has caused some to speculate that Paul himself might have been very small in stature uh, and, and fairly weak physically. Uh, he was powerful in what he said but uh, there are some that think at least he was weak physically uh, based on that and uh, the name Paul kind of gives you that idea as well Uh, from what we know about him uh, he was born in the Cilician city of Tarsus His parents were Jews from the tribe of Benjamin. If we look over in uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verses 4 and 5, he says, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law found blameless. Paul was a Jew among Jews. He had the credentials. We also know from Acts chapter 22 and verses 3 through 5, as Paul is making his defense he talks some about his early time says I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia but brought up in this city uh, and this is Jerusalem uh, but brought up in this city educated under Gamaliel strictly according to the law of our fathers being zealous for God just as you all are today And I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prison, as also the high priests and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Gamaliel was one of the leading teachers of the time, a leading conservative teacher of his day, And Paul, really here in Acts and also in Philippians, points out his great zeal. Now, 
Paul didn't do anything halfway. He jumped in with both feet. He wasn't always right because he started off persecuting the church, persecuting Christians, having them put to death. He was there at the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. They laid their coats at, at his feet which is an indication that he was one of the leaders uh, and was certainly consenting to his death. And then he went around actively persecuting Christians. Uh, He viewed Jesus as a blasphemer and he wanted to get rid of him and his following. Uh, And so... He did that with great zeal. Now, he was wrong. And to his credit, when he found out he was wrong, he changed. I mean, he made a 180. Such that the Jews that you know, all loved him, suddenly, oh, we got to get rid of this guy. And so they tried to do that. Uh, he certainly lamented his early activities of being a persecutor of the church. And he thanked God for the great mercy uh, that he had in forgiving him. Uh, Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to read uh, verses 12 through 16. Somebody wants to volunteer to read that. First Timothy 1, 12 to 16. You got that, Brad? <clears throat> I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the love and with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Okay, so Paul here, I think, gives us a lot of insight. Uh, And he knows how terrible he was early on. But he's so thankful for the grace that God abundantly gave him. Uh, And so uh, that's certainly something that's worth our uh, consideration. The conversion of Saul was really quite remarkable and so remarkable that it's recorded three times in the book of Acts. Uh, It's recorded kind of as it happened and then uh, it's recounted on uh, two different occasions. So you've got Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26. You know, we won't uh, take time to read those, but uh, reading that on your own, I think, would be beneficial as well. Uh, He also says he's an apostle. Uh, An apostle is one that's, you know, sent on a commission as a representative of another. 
Paul obviously saw his apostleship as being a work, you know, not a position of glory that he elevated himself among others, but a position of work. Uh, and the word ambassador is kind of synonymous with the word apostle. And uh, in fact, uh, ran across this when the Jewish Sanhedrin came into a decision. They sent out an apostle, an apostolos, the uh, Greek word, who conveyed their decision to those that were concerned. And so an apostle, an ambassador, is one that's kind of a messenger, sending out a message. And uh, Paul became one of those. You know, Christ appointed 12 men to this, you know, you know special emissary, uh, to convey his message to the lost world. And then Paul was, he said, born out of due season. Uh, he came along later. Uh, then also, uh, turn quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, and verses 9 and 10. Uh, says, For I am the least of the apostles whom, who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So Paul is certainly a prime example of God's grace. And someone is wicked as Paul. He did a lot of damage. But he received God's grace just like we can receive God's grace. And so it doesn't matter what we've done in the past. What matters is what do we do in the future and what are we doing now in uh, meeting the conditions to accept that grace. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, uh, this was not something, a position that he assumed because he chose it, but he was chosen by the will of God. He was not acting on his own. And he says to the saints uh, who are at Ephesus, and as we pointed out on Sunday, Uh, the words at Ephesus really aren't in some of the oldest manuscripts, so might not have been in the original. Uh, So might be more accurately to the saints uh, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so there's two words used there. One, saints, uh, those who are in fellowship with God through Christ. Uh, Every true Christian is a saint. Now that word saint is misused today and has actually been misused by the Catholic Church for centuries. Uh, To the Catholic Church, a saint is somebody that lived a long time ago that they have chosen to elevate and glorify posthumously as being just a a wonderful person, uh, almost like a perfect person. and Catholics, they pray to saints. Uh, in fact, this was 
many years ago, uh, a lady that Deborah worked with. She was Catholic, and she was a pretty devout Catholic. And we got to studying with her. Uh, And she could see a number of things that we pointed out where the Catholic Church really wasn't following what the Bible said. And we were making what I thought was pretty good progress. The thing that she couldn't let go of was praying to the saints. That was her hang-up. Oh, I wouldn't want them to be angry with me. And so, as far as I know, she never obeyed the gospel. But I thought, that's odd. Because everything that she attributed to saints, Jesus is for us. And so... You can have all that in Jesus. But that, that was her hang-up. So I uh, share that with you. I would not have thought that. Uh, and then he also uses the word faithful. You know, it conveys the idea of you know, trust and loyalty. Uh, and so... Uh, kind of as we talked about Sunday it appears that he sent the book directly to the saints at Ephesus with the idea that they would pass it along to other faithful people Uh, so the saints and the faithful Uh, and there is kind of a a general nature of the content Uh, we mentioned Sunday there isn't the specific greetings that you find in a lot of other of Paul's letters and so that does kind of support the view that it was intended for general distribution And then verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, This appears to be like a a prayer, an opening prayer of Paul in this book. Uh, And it contains two parts, a request for specific blessings and acknowledgement of the source of the blessings. The blessings requested are grace and peace. Uh, grace I think could be defined as an undeserved blessing or unmerited favor yeah Leah. sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you I just it was kind of struck me as I'm reading this how many times he said Jesus in the first couple of sentences mm-hmm. I don't know how often you write a letter to someone you don't see very often you think oh I probably should have said something about my blessings are from God or I should have mentioned Jesus did I encourage them sometimes I think at the end of my letter but from the beginning, mm-hmm. he is just straight out. I mean, three times telling me, you're kind of overdoing it there, Paul. But <laughs> <laughs> he just shows his value. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Uh, so, Paul is asking for that undeserved blessing uh, to be granted to the brethren. But it is important to note that that grace is conditional. Uh, and there are some that don't get that. And we'll see that. Yeah, much more clearly, I think, as we move on into chapter 2 uh, in about a week. And then there's also, you know, peace. You know, peace, freedom from inner conflict. Uh, spiritual contentment or rest in Christ. To have that peace, you've got to have that reconciliation with God. 
when we're reconciled with God, we can be at peace. And so, when you have that, things can be going on around you and, and outside of you that are, that are really not good. But yet, a Christian can be at peace. Uh, and that's something that those who don't have that peace have trouble understanding. The source of these blessings is you know, divine. Uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father. You know, God desires to give good gifts to his children. It says God our Father shows that personal relationship. Uh, suggests the intimate relationship that a parent and a child would have with one another. And then, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in John 1.17, John declared that grace and peace came through Jesus Christ. Christ became our peace. And Christ is the source of our peace. You know, without him, there is no reconciliation to God, and therefore no peace. So, these two blessings, grace and peace, are connected together with the Prince of Peace, as Christ is called in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Okay, any other thoughts, comments on the first couple of verses? Yeah, Joe. Um, when you mentioned how it says God our Father, I also think that's a um, kind of a key to what the rest of the letter is going to be about, about how God is the Father of the Jews and the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Start delving into that. So. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Katrina. I find it interesting, um, <clears throat> this is just a, a bigger. Uh, thought comment, but I find it interesting that we can accept that God's for their call, but we generally have a harder time accepting that we did that God didn't forgive Manasseh. Okay. And he did kind of the same thing in his time. He went through and he tried to get the people back to God in a big way. Okay. In the best way that he could. Okay. That wasn't where I thought you were going. <laughs> I thought you were going we struggle with the idea that we can be forgiven sometimes. Uh, I, I think it, forgiving ourselves is one of the hardest things. And you know, if God forgives us, we ought to be able to forgive ourselves. Yes, sir? Um, as Paul begins with grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he also ends verses 23 and 24 of chapter 6. Peace be to the brethren in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. So, bookends. Yeah, yep, yep, good point. Okay, then we get into uh, the spiritual blessings in Christ. Uh, Really, from verse 3 through verse 14, which... Is there's like a couple of long sentences in here. (laughs) 
So I'm not sure my English teacher would have approved of that, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's okay. I do tend to write long sentences, by the way. Uh, so uh, I probably need more periods than what I put in. Uh, but could I get a volunteer to read verses 3 through 14? Yes, sir. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Okay, thank you. (coughs) So, here the Spirit identifies seven major spiritual blessings bestowed upon Christians by God. Those, you know, Christians that share a relationship with Christ. In verse 4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. Verse 6, He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Verse 7, In Christ He has given us redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Fifth, in verse 9, He made known to us the mystery of His will. Sixth, in verse 11, he has caused us to have obtained an inheritance. And seventh, in verse 13, he sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. So, we'll be going through those things. But he starts off saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed, uh, the Greek word or the, the root verb of blessed is uh, eulogio. Uh, it's the word that we get you know, eulogy or eulogize from. Uh, and the form of the word used here refers only to God in the New Testament, which suggests that he is solely worthy of this praise this blessing Uh, it calls on us to honor God because of his intrinsic greatness and goodness 
in providing spiritual blessings. So he starts off, blessed be God. Uh, There's a lot of blessings in Ephesians uh, talking about Jesus. But it's interesting that he starts this off as God. Uh, And really the book you know, talks about praising of God and of Jesus and how we do that through our righteous living and our being faithful to God's plans. When we do that, it does bring praise and blessing to God. And, you know, his purposes are to bring his people together in one body, and we'll see that later on in this chapter as well. So, starts off the object of praise, you know, God the great giver. Uh, A basic understanding of God begins with the creation. Uh, Very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he's the creator of all things. Hebrews 11.3 tells us he created all things from nothingness. He took nothing, and from that he created everything. He created all things by his own will and for his own glory. Isaiah 43 and verse 7. The creation is evidence of the unqualified power of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. The eternal nature of God. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16. The unlimited presence of God. Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10. And the unsearchable knowledge of God, Romans 11.33 and Psalm 147.5. verse So, all these things come from the creation. But then it also talks about God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's important as well. Turn with me to John 17, where Jesus, speaking to his apostles, uh, you know, shortly before his death, and starting in verse 1, says, These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I glorify thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now glorify glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory that I had with thee before the world was. So, uh, 
this I think fits in well with you know the beginning here in Ephesians. So he also says, uh, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings." In speaking of spiritual blessings, Paul means that the gifts pertaining to the inner life or soul rather than the material life. The blessings concern the soul, not the body. And those are the blessings that are most important. But how often do we acknowledge that? How often do we pray for physical things instead of spiritual things? Now, that's not to say that it's wrong to pray for physical things. But sometimes I think we might have the emphasis in the wrong place. Uh, I mean, we certainly have example examples of calling upon God for physical blessings. And... Uh, he is concerned for us. We're taught to pray for physical health, for physical safety, physical nourishment, physical prosperity, and physical peace. But God is much more concerned with the spiritual provisions or blessings. God wants to provide enlightenment concerning himself. Uh, you know, John... 1, 1 through 18 and 14, 1 through 9 point this out. Uh, he wishes that you know, humans would know his personality and understand his nature. Our knowledge of God is the result of having God the Son visit us on earth. That's, that's what man was able to see. We can't see the Spirit being God the Father. But his son was allowed to be seen. Uh, God also wants to provide the revelation of his will. Uh, we need to know more than who God is. We need to know what he expects of us and why. God has richly blessed us by telling us what pleases him. And the inspired scriptures make known his will. So as we study the scriptures, we know what it is that pleases God and what we need to do. And then salvation by grace through faith. Uh, Knowing God and his will would be frustrating if he hadn't made provisions to (coughs) reconcile us to him and to establish fellowship. He didn't owe that to us, but by his grace, he offered salvation. That salvation is a free gift and blessing granted when we receive it through our active, responsive faith. God also provides sonship and an inheritance. Uh, God not only desired our cleansing from our sins, but he wants to establish a relationship with us. Uh, he's therefore offered us the right to be called sons of God. 
and with the sonship becomes the blessings of the inheritance the inheritance of the father's estate uh, God also wants us to have quality of spiritual life even here on earth uh, having become children of God we should no longer serve sin and the quality of our lives become much more spiritual because the spiritual is what becomes important to us uh, so our lives take on the heavenly qualities the qualities that we found that we see in Christ in contrast to the worldly temporal qualities that so many go after and then finally anticipation of life in heaven uh, among the promises included in our inheritance is the blessing of eternal life resurrection from death is promised and the eternal mansions in heaven are awaiting us so we need to look forward to these things and anticipate that and that really helps us get through life says these uh, blessings are in heavenly places or literally the heavenlies uh, and heavenly places are used five times in this epistle first here in chapter in chapter 1 verse 3 and chapter 1 and verse 20 Christ sits at the right hand of God in the heavenly places chapter 2 and verse 6 Christians sit with Christ in the heavenly places chapter 3 verse 10 there are principalities and powers in the heavenly places and finally in chapter 6 and verse 12 there are spiritual hosts of evil or wickedness in the heavenly places so both good and evil reside in the heavenly places so the term refers to the non-physical sphere of life uh But in that realm, Jesus reigns supreme, even over the evil, and will ultimately overthrow Satan and his forces. And so, Christ with his Christians are constantly at war with Satan. And the book ends in chapter 6, talking about the armor that we have to put on for that spiritual warfare. But these spiritual blessings can only be attained when we have fellowship with God through His Son. Spiritual blessings are meaningful to those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. The recipients of spiritual blessings have been granted the greatest and best of God's gift. And we need to keep that in mind. So, this word blessed that we talked about a few minutes ago, there's really three derivatives of that here in this verse. You have the blessed be the God and Father, referring to the exalted quality of God the Father. And then says, who has blessed us, 
referring to what the Father has done for us in providing <laughs> blessings, spiritual blessings, uh, which is the noun identifying the gifts that he has bestowed. There's an intimate connection between the source, the blessed God, the action, blessing us, and the gift, the blessings. They're all connected. And we have God to praise for that. He's mercifully provided for us when we did not deserve to be blessed. His gifts are the greatest in kind, for they are spiritual in nature, nature far superior to any gift given by man. Then the location of that elect uh, of those gifts and this election is to the chosen in Christ. Verse four: He chose us in Him. Means that God selected us for Himself. Now. That gives a lot of people some problem and has caused some to say, well, God has determined by name who he's going to say. Well, I'll agree God has determined who he's going to say, but it's a class or a quality of people. Was God's selection conditional or unconditional? Did God select particular individuals apart from their voluntary connection with the body of Christ? I think not. And we would do the same thing. If you were choosing a business partner, you might have certain qualities you're looking for in a business partner. And you might predetermine what those qualities are before you do the selecting. But that doesn't mean you have predestined a particular individual to be that partner. You're looking for someone who had those qualities and who had perhaps gone to school, had a particular level of education, and so that made them fit those qualities. Yeah, Leah. I just really, whenever I think about that, I really notice how many times in these couple of paragraphs we see, like, we and us, and um, the familial language, like adoption and inheritance mm-hmm. and all that. I would say, um, I feel like the goal is to unify in this paragraph, and mm-hmm. I just feel like it... Um, I mean, I think we can get caught up on those things like predestined, but I think um, mm-hmm. really he's just showing God has chosen you, and it is you, and you are together, and it's not mm-hmm. it's not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles. Like you are a family, and I feel like that's what he's trying to accomplish there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, so again the question is was God's selection conditional or unconditional and when we look to the text I think it provides that answer God has chosen us in him that is in Christ so then the next question would be is coming into Christ conditional or unconditional 
Once more, the scriptures provide that answer. If you look in Galatians chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So obviously, entrance into Christ is conditional upon faith and baptism of a believer. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And if God has chosen Christ and then those who are in Christ, and he has, and if being in Christ is conditional, and it is, then it necessarily follows that the choosing is based on the same conditions that are required for coming into Christ. So, the the choosing, the predestining, he's looking for particular kinds of people who would meet those qualities and who have done those things. And it also talks about the time of that election, which is before the foundation of the world. Uh... God chose that before the very beginning. So it shows that this was part of a plan, a careful plan that he had, even before the world was brought into existence. This wasn't something that he had to change his plans at the last minute, like you know, so many in the denominational world teach that well, he meant to establish his kingdom, but then Jesus was rejected and the change had to be made. No, this shows this was planned long before that. Bob, did you have a comment? Just <clears throat> when you read verse 4, uh, one of the things that is glaring to me is the fact that he says he chose us in him. Because mm-hmm. without him, we would never be holy and right. blameless. Yes, and so it is through the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ that uh, people who would would uh, see God's grace and mercy mm-hmm. and His act of love through Christ and cling to that, right. therefore enabling us to be uh, observed by God as holy and blameless before Him. Right. Yep. And that was my next point. So very good. <laughs> Thank you very much. We'll help you teach. Yeah. (laughs) So, the saved man is elect because he's become one of the types of persons that God selected. Yeah, Craig. Um, It's talking about him having this plan before the foundation of the world. There are... There are so many verbs attached to God in this section. It actually makes me, it reminds me of those first few chapters of Genesis, where you start counting all the action words of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's almost every other verse where God is doing and doing and creating and forming and separating and mm-hmm. um, giving. You know, when, when Eve comes along, he, he you know, 
causes Adam to sleep. He takes her rib. He closes the space. He, mm-hmm. And all of these things that he is doing back then in order to give mankind everything that he wants to bless them with. And here he is again, giving and giving and doing and doing, going above and beyond to give us the blessings that, that he mm-hmm. wants us to have. Yep. Um, this is not a God who just kind of created the universe and spun it like a top and okay we'll see how that goes it's someone who is still very much active with what he's made yep yep and they're the end of the verse that we should be holy and blameless before him yeah we're distinguished from others by our holiness you know we we're different from the world and the things that we do the relationships that we have and the hope that we have as well. And the elect are also identified as being without blemish. Christians are faultless or blameless when there's no sin on their character and conduct. Now once having sin, a person can only be considered to be without blemish when he's been forgiven by Christ and has forsaken that sin. So, we can't be blameless on our own. It's only through Christ that we can be blameless. So, just as being chosen is conditional, so being holy and without blemish is conditional uh, based upon our acceptance of Christ and following his direction. Okay. Well, my watch says that bell's String. There it goes. Okay. Uh, we didn't get too far. I didn't think we'd get much further than this. Uh, but we will uh, try to finish up chapter one on Sunday.